Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. I'm delighted to say uh, Fanula Jones, Leslie Williams and Esther McCarthy join us all uh, once again. Good afternoon to you all. Hi, Sean. There you all are. That's good. Coming in uh, loud and clear. So, Esther, tell us about the two movies today we're going to be talking about. Well, one is... I'm just after watching it and I'm still just scratching my head going, what have I just seen? Um, that's <laughs> called The Woman in the Window. Um, it's new on Netflix today. Um, it wasn't press screened in advance. And, and I guess I, I now know why <laughs> it's oh. completely it's awful. It's based on a really um, big hit novel from two, three years ago. Um, I haven't read that novel, uh, but I would say if it is as batty as the film is, then I don't know how they could have successfully adapted it, to be honest with you. It's just a complete pot boiler, Sean. Um, mm. And what I think they're trying to do here is try and anchor it in Amy Adams and hope Amy Adams will, will save the day. But even Amy Adams can't save this one. OK, is she in it, though? Yeah, she's the lead in it. Oh, gosh. Uh, that yeah, is just, it's, it couldn't be like, you know, bad in a good way. If you had a really bad hangover and your critical facilities were, were uh, sufficiently dulled, would you enjoy it? No, and I'm really intrigued <laughs> to hear from people who've read. I'm really intrigued to hear from people who've read the book as well to see what did they make of it. It's just one of these things that throws, um, it's, it's, it's bad storytelling in the sense it throws loads of twists at, at the screen and goes, look, aren't we clever now? And I'm going, no, you're not. You're just like not good storytellers. Um, and the pedigree of everyone here is incredible. Like we have Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie and support. Wow. Like very reliably good cast mem- members. They managed to make Julianne Moore look shrill. I didn't think that was even possible. Um, and we have a really good director as well, Joe Wright, who's made, you know, he's he's used to adapting novels. He's adapted Atonement um, and Anna Karenina uh, a few years ago. So I, I just don't know what's going on here. But I would say my my takeaway from it is if that what is that's what the story was like, it's, it was never going to work as a film adaptation. You right. Know? So is Cowboys a documentary about a group of builders uh, constructing a housing estate in Leitrim? I hope it is. <laughs> <laughs> not. It's not that one. No. No. It's the ah, other Cowboys. Right. Uh, this is lovely. It's lovely. It's uh, Steve Zahn, who I'd watch in anything, and Gillian Bell. A lovely little indie um, that premiered in Tribeca uh, last year and won um, won Best Screenplay Award for uh, kind of a newcomer by the name of Anna, Anna Kerrigan, who, and I can see why. Uh, this is very unique in that it's telling the story of a young um, trans boy and his the, the, the difficulty his parents have, I suppose, and the the odds they find themselves at in, in coping with his um, the boy who was born a girl, uh, Josie, is now identifying as Joe. And it's play, uh, the, the role is played by a real life young trans actor. Um, I don't think I've seen that on screen before. And there's a real tenderness to it. And it's all handled really well, I have to say. It, it's clever, I think, to frame the whole thing as a Western almost, even mm. right down to the title. Um, it's a really little family kitchen sink drama, this, but it's um, set in Montana and uh, it's kind of framed as Western. Yeah, that's the best way. Right, okay. It. And I do like Steve Zahn. He's a lovely kind of everyman oh, quality to him. He's lovely, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, and so, Leslie, today, it's uh, we're off to Italy. Yes, the Veneto. Um, Lake Garda, you've got to picture yourself on a vintage speedboat driving around Lake Garda, um, sipping um, 
Lugana and uh, and maybe some red afterwards with uh, with a bit of um, bit of lobster or something maybe I don't know. Yeah. Sounds okay. Like, yeah. Of course, the thing about a uh, light guard is that you can be just completely devoured by the midges, depending on if you're not careful. You you shake wine at them; it's fine. They'll go away. They'll go away. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> okay. So we will we will we'll be talking about that. We might try and get your your, your microphone fixed there. Uh, okay, um, uh, in the interim period. Uh, and and Fanula, what's the, what's the deal with the Golden Globes? Why does everybody hate them all of a sudden? Yeah, this has been kind of a long time coming now, I will say. And I think we've actually talked about this on the show before, just in terms of it's really come under fire in the last year uh, with regards to diversity and everything else. So for anyone who doesn't know, the people who decide who wins uh, the Golden Globes is the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Um, that's a really small group. It's like 87 critics. And in its history, um, they've never had any black voting members. Um, it kind of really came under the microscope this year, as I said, because in the list of nominations, it didn't include a lot of the big, like, black-led Oscar contenders. So, like, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, like, it really came to a head as well with, I don't know if you read the report earlier this year from uh, the Los Angeles Times, which kind of went into how, like, there seemed to be a lot of discriminatory practices going on, seemed to be a lot of money exchanging hands to get kind of eyes on certain movies and certain shows put forward. I think we talked about it at the time um, with regards to like the likes of Emily in Paris. Um, 30 of the members at the time were flown to France to the set of the show and kind of swanned around. And then lo and behold, it ended up getting two Golden Globe nominations, despite mm. the fact it was critically panned. <laughs> um, so yeah, NBC have decided to stop airing it. Um, I think this is kind of to do with ratings as well, but I think they're kind of trying to say that it's because of the criticisms around diversity as well. Tom Cruise has handed back his awards. He yeah. won three Golden Globes previously, um, so he sent them back in protest. You have people like Mark Ruffalo has made statements against them. Scarlett Johansson's condemned it. Uh, director Ava DuVernay. Um, it's not looking good for them at all. Even the studios like Netflix and Amazon and Warner Media, they've already said they're not going to work with the Hollywood Farm Press Association until changes are made. And now they've said they're looking to like increase their membership and they're going to focus on recruiting unrep- underrepresented groups. But apparently they're not happy with it and they want them to go further than that. So we might not be seeing the Golden Globes for a year or so. They could be on an indefinite hiatus. Who yeah, knows? that's a, I, actually, I suppose that, like the Tom Cruise, I didn't think Tom Cruise was particularly woke. Yeah, neither did I. And now, I mean, there's been no like official confirmation that that's why he did it. But I suppose it's kind of like, why else would he be bothered? You know, that kind of way. Mm. Um, he won for obviously Born on the 4th of July, Magnolia and Jerry Maguire. But like, he would be kind of, I suppose, still very highly regarded within the industry as well. And as you said, kind of unexpected. So I mm. feel like now if people weren't really taking this seriously, I feel like people would be looking to Tom and being like, oh, like we need to be taking this very seriously. Yeah, because yeah, Mark Ruffalo has an opinion on everything. So like, almost oh, like, that you know, man yeah. loves opinions. He does, loves yeah. them. He does. <laughs> <laughs> right, so people will have opinions about this at uh, uh, the, uh, the the Friends reunion. Now, do you, is it clear what it is? Is it another episode of Friends or is it just the cast of Friends sitting around yakking? 
it's not another episode and it is essentially them just sitting around yakking, reminiscing right. on old times, um, having a nice cash grab for themselves. I mean, like fans are going to eat this up. Like it's the full cast back together. Um, it's May 27th. It's airing on HBO Max, which is like their streaming service. I'd imagine we'll get it over here on the likes of Sky Atlantic or something. Um, but as well as them, it's there's a load of weird celebrity special guests. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah. So it's like Justin Bieber, Cindy Crawford, Lady Gaga, Reese Witherspoon, which makes sense because she was on the show. Tom Selleck, again, makes sense. He was on the show. Yeah. Then we have like Malala is there, which like great for her. Maybe she's a big fan. I don't know. And then James Corden, like he turns up to everything. So why is um, James Corden? Most- why is James Corden on it? Why is James Corden? Why, why is James Corden? Why is he not? He just like he would turn up to the opening of an envelope. Why did they him, invite like, him? Is there no <laughs> is there no sense in the United States that, that like of backlash against James Corden? Have they not got it yet? Has that tsunami not hit the east coast of the US yet? No, I don't think so. But God, I'm hoping it's imminent, to be honest. Like, he can't escape it that long. Like, Yeah, it's weird. How old was Justin Bieber when Friends ended? Oh, probably a twinkle in God's pocket, I would say. Like, not even <laughs> existing. It's so such a bizarre lineup of guests. Like, but this, as I said, like, it's absolute fan service. And I don't know if we'll really learn anything new. I think they've kind of said they might get back into character for some of it. But, like, it's not. It's absolutely not a follow-up episode. It's very much just... Oh, remember the show we were on? Wasn't it great? Like, love it. Yeah. Okay. Now it's the, so there's a date of May twenty seventh on H- HBO Max. But does what does that mean mean to us? I'd imagine we'll get it the same week, but we have no full update yet. Uh, maybe we'll get something in the next two weeks. I can update um, on next week's show once I've heard. Yeah. Okay. Right. Great. Right. Okay. Uh, back to Leslie now. So, uh, which color shall we be talking about first, Leslie? So white wine first. Uh, how's that sound? Is that sounding a little that's bit better? Be- that's better, yeah. Okay, good, good. D- dump this microphone. Um, yes, yeah, so um, we're going to start with um, a wine that people hopefully might know or may not, Lugana. Um, so Lugana is probably less well-known than Suave. Suave is the most famous white wine of the Veneto. Um, this is uh, sort of near Verona, Suave is. But but if you head a bit further south, then you get down to Lake Garda. And uh, this is Lugana at the very south of, uh, of the lake. And uh, it's a little cooler there. So the grape is Trebbiano de Lugana. That's actually the name of the grape. And then wine should be at least 90% made from that grape. Trebbiano, though, is different to the Trebbiano. That Trebbiano is different to the Trebbiano that you'd see in Tuscany. People might have come across um, um, Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, for example, which is from Abruzzo. That's a, a cheap, uh, not cheap, but it's a less interesting grape. It's much more neutral. Uh, Trebbiano de Lugana is actually Radicchio. So Radicchio di Castelli di Jesi, people might have come across. Um, so it's, what I really like about it is it's got this lovely nutty lemon character, this sort of fragrant burst character. So the one I've chosen is uh, brand new to O'Brien's. Um, it's uh, from Rizzardi. Rizzardi, really good producer um, since about the 16th, 17th century in uh, in the Veneto. And it was actually Rizzardi family's uh, boat that I was on the last time I was over there mm. in the in Lake. Yeah, it was very nice. Thanks to O'Brien's, I should admit this. Um, but um, yeah, so they hadn't actually had the Lugana in stock up until now. They only had the Suave, but the Suave. Um, uh, they're just changing vintage on that, so I didn't want to mention that. So the Lugana is brand new in the shop, and I've just had a taste of it, and it's so creamy, lemony, sort of peachy kind of aromas mixed with sort of flowers and lemons and so on. And it's that's eighteen ninety five, so there's a little more, but it's I, I still think that's fair price for you know for such decent, fragrant kind of Italian sun warming wine. Um, and it, it really is sort of does taste of northern Italy. It's light and it's fragrant. 
but there's a bit of texture there. They leave it on its leaves, which means that once they've fermented the wine, uh, the grapes, they um, they leave it to sit on the dead yeast cells, which just allows more texture and a bit more flavour and a bit more character to come in. Yeah. And uh, any O'Brien shop would have it. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, Lake Arda always struck me it would be a nice place to go for Christmas because it's kind of mountainy as well or not too far from the mountains. True, exactly. And yeah. there's the cool kind of air around there that helps the grapes. It keeps them, because I mean, it, it can be hot in the summer, but you get cool breezes coming in off Lake Garda and you get cool breezes coming down from the Italian Alps as well. Um, so it just gives a little microclimate to the area that's good. The, the other wines in the region, of course, are Valpolicella, red, and uh, Amarone, people know, and so on. But we shouldn't dismiss the whites. Um, Suave is made with Garganega, or Garganega, I think, Gargana. Garganega, yeah, G-A-R-G-E-N-E-G-A. But there would also be Trebbiano in that as well, although it's mostly Garganega. Um, but I sometimes think Lugana can even be more interesting because you get the full-on nutty, lemony character. Um, some Suaves, unless you go for a good producer, they can be a little a little uninteresting, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Sheila wants to know, it says, uh, Venetia was relatively close to Tuscany. Would this wine be quite similar to Montepulciano, for instance? Uh, okay, so... Uh, so okay, so that's uh, an interesting question. Um, so Montepulciano is a village in Tuscany, and the grape there is Sangiovese, and it's not to be confused with Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, which is named, which is a different grape um, ah, made in Abruzzo. Right. Okay, so Montepulciano d'Abruzzo is the great Montepulciano from Abruzzo. Montepulci- Vino Nobile di Montepulciano is Sangiovese. It's, it's basically like a, a, a kind of a slightly richer Chianti. So um, no is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sheila. There's your answer there. Uh, Michael Anopheles says, I've bought two bottles of a Chilean white wine called McKenna SB. Is it any use? Who is McKenna? <laughs> Oh, he did not know. Oh, he was this really interesting Irish guy who went over the... I actually don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm sure they've made up some story like this. No, I've no idea. Chilean, so SB, I'm assuming it's a Sauvignon Blanc. Chilean is just really consistent. So the reason it's 27% of all the wine we buy is from Chile is just because Chile is so damn consistent. They, they don't seem to make anything. I mean, it can be a little samey, Chilean wine, but it's always consistent. So generally it costs what, it pay, what you paid for it. I mean, if it costs a tenner, then it tastes like a tenner. If it costs 15, it usually costs 15. It's, it, they're a consistent producer. So I don't know the wine offhand, but I'd say, yes, it should be grand. Yeah. But drink it soon. Don't leave it for... Uh, Sarah wants to know, is a natural wine the same as an organic wine? No. Well, very complicated, this. Okay, God, these are interesting questions people are asking today. So a natural wine is a newish word that has been adopted by the sort of uh, left wing or the provisional wing of the organic movement, if you will. Um, (laughs) So it doesn't have a a technical definition, but in general, natural wine is made from organically grown grapes, sometimes biodynamically grown grapes which means that they've included a few moon phase things in their, in their, in their, um, in their vinifications and so on. Right. Um, yeah, so like things you do with the moon phase that you might, you know, treatments you give and so on. But natural usually means that they've used very low or zero sulfur added, which means you get a different character to the wine. This can be brilliant. You can get this lovely pure grapefruit grape flavor, the actually tasting of the grapes more than actually of the production method. It obliterates terroir. Um, which is a good or a bad thing, depending on how you feel. Um, but yeah, so most natural wines are organic. Uh, most are not necessarily, but organic wines are not necessarily natural. Um, so natural is a category, which means made in an old-fashioned way without modern addition of sulfur dioxide, which can be really bad because you can get off flavors like Britannomyces and all kinds of nasty things. Or if it's a good producer, it can be great. 
Um, buy with care is what I would say. And buy from a good shop like, say, Green Man Wines or um, most shops these days would have a natural wine to the Vintry because more an old fashioned or, you know, slightly older demographic goes with Vintry. But, but even still, every decent shop should have natural wines. And Declan says on the subject of the two films we're talking about today, he says, I saw the trailer for Cowboys. I love the guy who plays the da. He's one of those actors who is basically never the main actor, but is so good that he sort of goes unnoticed. If you don't uh, consider him an actor, he's just a character in a film, if you know what I mean. I'm assuming Declan uh, is referring to Steve Zahn. Uh, Esther, would you like to talk about Cowboys next? Um, you know what? There's so much to pick apart on the woman in the window. Would you mind if we did that first? No, I like the way you're thinking. Indeed, I do. Uh, right, we'll be talking about the, the woman in the window after this. I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. They're all hiding something. I told you, you will you've not never met my mother. Stop, Stop watching our house. The doctor said that you're mad cause hallucinations. I'm not hallucinating. I think there's somebody in my house. Don't go looking into other people's houses. You won't like what you see. Oh, for God's sake, calm down. That's the woman in the window. So, Esther, what's the uh, what's the uh, motivating factor here for everyone, apart from money? Calm down, indeed. I had to calm myself down after watching it. It's just, Sean, it's absolute trash, this. It's like um, Gone Girl's batty little sister, I suppose. But it's astonishing to me that, you know, that there's such a big cast involved. Like, this is a big movie. Um, it, it was ad- adapted from AJ Finn's novel in I think it was 2018 it came out and it was a huge hit you know um and it is based around the premise of um Amy Adams character Anna who is I suppose she's this kind of she's a child psychologist she lives in a big huge fancy house um and she has severe agoraphobia she hasn't left her house at all um for 10 months so very relatable at the moment yes (laughs) and uh it it kind of emerges then that she's been struggling with generalized anxiety as well as the agoraphobia and has very little contact with the outside world um and a very unsympathetic psychologist as well it must be said which we rarely get to see on screen um and she has very little human interaction with like here's the first thing even though she lives in a massive house that's worth millions she has a lodger in the basement you know even though she's not working um that's her her source of income and his name is david um she kind of has occasional interactions with him but not often uh so she spends her days very much girl on a train vibe here you know watching her neighbors go about their daily lives um from the window of her house Mm. uh rear window as well here yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, everyone involved really wants to, this to be described as Hitchcockian, but like I'm not paying it that compliment. It's trying to be, it wants to be, um, but it's not rooted in any kind of believability, I suppose, is the problem. For for example, like she's a very, 
you're you know you're supposed to discover like halfway through a film that someone's an unreliable narrator mm. that's the whole point of it it's it's supposed to be like oh wow you know it's supposed to be a moment a plot pivot but she is anna's character is presented as an unreliable narrator from the outset um because she has these psychological issues um she is on a medication that she's not supposed to drink with um but she drinks a lot of red wine and um she has sometimes has hallucinations as a result of that um so you're kind of going where's the surprise here like <laughs> you know what i mean um so they, anyway a family moving across the road um the inhabitants aren't all that interesting either the people she watches from her house um but a family moves in to a new house across the road uh numbered 101 and it faces her home she's kind of fascinated um especially when the son ethan who's a teenage boy drops by with a gift of a scented candle um her background's in child psychology they strike up a conversation and Anna gets her first sense that all is not well in his family life. Um, then, you know, the, the, the matriarch character who's played by Julianne Moore, who's been told to dial it up here or something. And it's like crazy. Again, you know, all the characters are very um, dialed up and, and a bit extreme and, and not grounded in any sort of reality. And I don't know what they were trying to do here tonally. Um, but she's Jane and she is, yeah, she has a kind of a, she hits it off, I suppose, with Anna's character and again gets a sense that the the, the matriarch of the family might be a troublesome character who's played, you know, by, by who better than Gary Oldman to play that character. Um, and he is her husband um, who, you know, he intrigues Anna, I suppose, and she begins to obsess about the family um, watching them as she does all day from from her house. Uh, but one night she becomes convinced again you're just going oh I don't know whether I believe this because she's been presented as such an unreliable character you know but she becomes convinced she's witnessed a violent crime in the house um, contacts the authorities uh, but her claims don't seem to stack up so your guess here is the thriller element here is is she having a meltdown is she having a breakdown or is she telling the truth about this new family um you get to learn a little bit about her own backstory um that she is separated from her, her husband who's played by anthony mackie and he has custody of their daughter as well so you know she's got you know there's more stuff going on here uh which i won't go into plot wise because there's a lot of plot sean it's mm. like they're throwing it they're throwing it at the wall so far um, it sounds like a movie there. or movies i've seen before yeah I mean, it does have the same old, same old, but it's in the execution as well. It's just not, it's just so bad. You kind of go, how did they get everyone involved? I mean, I know why you would cast Amy Adams in this role because everything is feels so unreal that she is her, she's such a brilliant actor that she can ground something like she did so beautifully um, with Arrival, I think, and just made it utterly believable and really, really moving, even though it was science fiction. Um, I can see why you'd want to cast her in this, but she, even even Amy Adams can't save this one. You know, um, she's a very unsympathetic character as well as unreliable. There's not much to like about her. Um, she's quite a dour person, and there's just nothing to invest in here. You know, um, you get just get a load of red herrings, a load of plot twists that feel there there that might be a good summer page turner kind of read, but certainly doesn't translate well 
onto the big onto the screen at all. You know, I just lost patience with this early and often, I have to say. Interesting. Owen says both myself and herself love the woman in the window and we're looking forward to the movie as in the book. It's all black and white movie references. So obviously the the, the author wrote a kind of a filmic novel uh, that perhaps the director and producers thought could tra- transfer quite then quite conveniently. Uh, are, are there uh, old black and white movie references in there the film? There are a lot of references, yeah, mm. often to other thrillers. Um, but again, just that's not done in any meaningful way or any engaging way, you know. I just... I just didn't believe it, Sean, and I didn't believe it from early on. Um, so kind of it lost me. And you know what? I was even confused by the ending. Um, and that's not to, you know, flatter the film that it had yeah. a complex ending. It was just that I actually had switched off by then. I didn't care. I wasn't invested in the protagonists or, or, or you know, what was going to happen to them. Um, and it's just it's astonishing to see a cast like this wasted like that. Yeah. And I have to say to, you know, Joe Wright is... A good director. He's an English filmmaker. He's made films like Atonement. um, And as I said, and Anna Karenina, lots of films, a very experienced filmmaker. Um, So I am kind of fascinated to hear what people have seen the novel will make of the film, I guess. Yeah, actually, there's one or two texts from people. Brian says, I thought it was a good read, but understand how it wouldn't make a good movie. Mm, uh, Cormac says I, f- I, think. I found the book a bit muddled and generally quite bad uh, somebody else says maybe this is one of the references the 1944 uh, movie Woman in the Window with Joan Bennett and Edward G. Robinson is a film worth watching I wonder now and I wonder how similar the plots are uh, uh, perhaps and then you know the author can say well no, that's a reference didn't just like rip off the plot or anything. Uh, the Amy Adams backlash, of course, has already started. Uh, Fiona says Amy Adams was in the film Leap Year, which was absolute rubbish. Disappointed here, she's in another shocker. I think she could be great if she tried. Uh, another text says I can't buy Amy Adams in that role. I saw her in Enchanted, so can't take her seriously in a movie after that. Uh, though Emma says Amy Adams is class. If Frances McDormand is her generation's Meryl Streep, then Amy is her generation's uh, Frances McDormand. Wow, that's a big that's a big claim there. That is a big claim. Um, I like her. I like I like her, but I just that's that's too that's two b- bad films in a row now. Um, mm. After Hillbilly Elegy as well, which I couldn't get on with at all, you know. Uh, so, but look. She's up in Wickler and she's making uh, Disenchanted. She's given us an Enchanted sequel. It'll all be okay in the world again. Yeah. Uh, no, well, the thing is, in fairness to her, she can do films like Enchanted. And, you know, because if you see her in interviews, she's like, she's a very kind of sing and dancing type of actor. But she can also do very gritty roles quite uh, quite convincingly as well. And you mentioned Arrival too. That's a kind of a third category. So she has a bit of range, I think. Absolutely. And I think she does have, she might be that um, female Steve Zahn, Sean. She does have that every woman quality about her as mm. well, I think. I believe her in, 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 in storytelling and I absolutely think that's why she's been cast in the lead here, you know. Right. Absolutely why. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, we'll, uh, we'll uh, yeah, you know how we all stand then on uh, The Woman in the Window. Mm, maybe if you're really, really stuck. It's on Netflix, uh, Esther, is that right? Yeah, it's the big Netflix movie of the month, actually. All ah, right, yeah. so at least you don't, you don't have to pay any money for it, at least. Uh, right, uh, uh, though, Fanula, there's going to be a Knives Out too. Yes, there is. And there's a couple of big names after uh, jumping on board as well. We have the likes of Catherine Han. Uh, she signed up for the sequel. Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, who I mentioned last week, and uh, Edward Norton. Um, we don't really know much about what's going to happen in it yet. 
Um, but Daniel Craig is back. He's playing Benoit Blanc again, solving another mystery um, with another sizable set of characters. Um, and Ryan Johnson is back as director. So she'll be good. I love Catherine Han. So right. it'll be very interesting. Dave Bautista, I'm not as gone on. I'm not really sure what he's going to add to this plethora. Yeah, that's an odd choice, isn't it? But maybe there's a specific role for some big meaty head guy, type guy. They'll they'll always find a way, you know what I mean? Those big meaty-headed actors, they always find their way to the movies and they're fine. They're usually sorted out, so. Yeah, but actually in his category of actor, there's probably like, does Dave have a problem taking his shirt off? Uh, uh, <laughs> and Dave's going, I know why you hired me. Uh, it's not it's not so I can do Shakespeare, uh, uh, really. It's just like, show us your pecs, really. But there's no no notion of what kind. The thing is, though, it was it, it worked so well the first time out, I'd be leery about revisiting that, though. This is the thing, but I kind of feel like they will probably, there'll be a wink and a nod to that. And I feel like the people going won't really care about that. I think they're kind of going for Daniel Craig and the cast and kind of like the hijinks. It's not going to live up to the hype of what it was. And as you said, I think it will be kind of hard to top that because of obviously the subject matter. But I don't think they care. I think they're just like, right, we'll go again and we'll have a good uh, jolly day out and because they know the people will go and they'll buy the tickets or they'll um, they'll sit down and stream it. Uh, I see a text here from Claire uh, and I'll ask you, uh, Fanula and Esther, about this. Uh, I saw an online poll the other day that placed Christopher Nolan as the best director ever ahead of Stanley Kubrick in second place. Uh, people seem to really love Nolan. You know, he never did it for me. Uh, what do you think? Fanula. Uh, here now, come on. <laughs> 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 yes, echoes my um sentiment. He's he's good. I I don't dislike him. Um, he's not the best. He's like, notions. Sorry, he's total tenet. notions. He's good. Total he's a good action notions. director. Total notions. That's all. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think Tenet was an absolute fascinating example of how his obsessions kind of just unraveled over the course of a film. You know, I think he was really he can be great. Um, but I think his shortcomings were really evident. Yeah. I think in Completely. Tenet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that poll was really name a director you've heard of uh, rather than best director <laughs> ever. Right, you are listening to the Moncrief Show and News Talk. We have to take a break. One more movie, one more wine after this. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, the hashtag today is Millennials Movie, uh, for instance, with Nail and me, 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 me being one example uh, of that. Uh, somebody did text in earlier on uh, asking Leslie a question uh, about uh, a wine called McKenna wine. And uh, Noel from Monaghan was on to us to say, um, John McKenna came from Monaghan town, went to Spain and then Chile, where he became a revolutionary leader called Don Juan McKenna. He's remembered today in street names and town squares. All descendants in Chile today are descendants. Or I assume all McKennas are his descendants. He ultimately lost his life in a duel to the death with his mortal element me Lewis Carrera so there you go that's why that, that's why there's a wine named after him that's uh that's very interesting tell us about our second wine today Leslie so second wine is um Bartolino and I've gone with uh, a producer that I suspect people know Zanato um Zanato are is kind of it's kind of the go-to Amarone for other people. It's the biggest, richest, most opulent, most kind of full-on. It's like 17% alcohol. Um, it's also one of the more expensive. It costs about 60 euro. So Amarone is made from dried grapes. They, they pick the grapes in September and then put them in whole bunches in 
uh, trays and then dry them until often late December, sometimes into January. And then so you're effectively making grapes from raisins and you get a completely different flavor. This originally was done for a sweet wine, um, but um, to make a sweet wine. Uh, but then one, if you were supposed to stop the fermentation, but the story goes that somebody didn't, and then the wine fermented to dry, and they realized there was this powerful, rich wine. Irish people love big, big, powerful wines like Amarone. It sells really, really well here. But I want people to think what you should be doing instead at this time of the year is that's a bit heavy. 17% is a bit strong. Bardolino is the same grapes, so it's Corvina, Rondonella Molinara. Corvina is the, the main grape. That's the main quality grape in the region. Um, but it's much, much lighter. This is all sort of bright cherries and so on. And this is much more a summer wine, the kind of wine you drink in the town of Bardolino, because Bardolino is the main town. If anyone has visited Lake Garda, Bardolino is probably the town that they that they stayed in a hotel in or mm. they took off from. It, uh, it, it's just there on the, on the actual lake. Uh, and uh, another question for you. I've stored my wine in one of uh, the horizontal wine stands in the kitchen. It holds 12 bottles. Some bottles have been there for two years. Wow, you're a person of immense restraint. <laughs> Light from the windows would have hit them daily. The heat would go through various degrees, uh, would go through them. Now I'm wondering, is every bottle ruined? I mean, every one of my friends has their wine on the countertop in one of these wine racks too. Are we all wrong? yeah. Yes, you're all wrong. Move them from the kitchen. Take them out of the kitchen. Please. Yeah, that's true. You and mean, the yeah. absolute worst. In fact, I didn't want to... I shouldn't be... Okay. Do you remember the Home of the Year program? Mm-hmm. One of the houses, I won't say which one, but if anyone looks back at the episode, the last episode, one of those houses which did got to the final and didn't win there but did well, um, they had a whole massive wine rack with about 45 bottles over the fridge. So not only was it in the kitchen, the warmest room in the house, which also gets cold at night and then warm in the day and then cold and warm and cold, it was also above the fridge, which is a constant source of heat. The wines were cooking there nicely every single day because the heat rising from the fridge. Um, now look, oh my God, those fine. monsters! Just open them and drink them. Yeah, yeah. they're probably okay. fine. Drink, drink the wines. But, right. But okay. it isn't the best place for long-term storage. Best six months a year. You know, it's fine. Right, okay. So we would like to uh, distance ourselves from Leslie Williams' defamatory comments against uh, the Home of the Year show. Uh, and uh, the uh, people will remember the uh, the Netflix movie, the Polish Netflix movie, 365 Days, which basically was a porn movie and therefore was extremely popular. Now they're going to make another one. What's the big deal, Fanula? They're not just making another one. They're making two new parts uh, with the original cast uh, coming back. So you have Michelle Moroni and Anna Maria Cicluca. I've definitely butchered that name. Um, it's this, I don't remember, I don't know if people remember at the time, um, this was everywhere. This did really well on ev- like every territory's Netflix. Um, made the top 10 in more than 93 countries. Was the fourth most searched movie on Google globally in 2020, according to the streamer. Um, but also got kind of a lot of kickback because of the subject matter. You mentioned it's kind of like this erotic drama. But the plot basically focuses around this young Polish woman who ends up being imprisoned by this uh, gangster guy who gives her one year to fall in love with him. Um, so obviously people were like, this movie is glorifying and romanticizing sexual assault and Stockholm Syndrome. Uh, Duffy, the singer, actually uh, penned this open letter to the, to Reed Hastings sure. uh, talking about her kidnapping ordeal and saying that, that this was terrible. There was another online uh, petition that got like 95,000 signatures. But I don't know, I think this is just Netflix responding to, obviously there were a lot of eyes on it. I knew there were so many people talking about it at the time. Um, I think they're just responding to that. But yeah, I would imagine whenever part two comes out, 
um, we're going to be having similar conversations because I can't see them straying that far away from the storyline. But yeah, but isn't this like a bang of fifty? It's it's not a million miles away from Fifty Shades of Grey then. No, it's not. And I don't think the issue was kind of around the fact that it was a bit saucy. I think it was just like, does there need to be this? Like the kidnapping thing is just. It's so strange and like, it spoiler strange. alert, she yeah. does fall in love with them at the end and it's no, just... No, you've ruined it now. Oh. <laughs> it's madness. It's absolute madness. But like, I guarantee you people are still going to be bed into part two and part three. Like it's... Way, I don't yeah. think it's going to change anything, unfortunately. Right. Amy Adams isn't going to be in this though. <laughs> I don't think so. But who knows? Her decision making hasn't been great. Uh, I'd pay cash money to watch that. I shouldn't be saying that. She's in Ireland right now. She could be listening saying, who is that intriguing man on the radio? All <laughs> uh, right, we'll move on to our second movie of the day. It is Cowboys. Here's a clip. I'm pretty sure mom's a witch. Your mom is not a witch. She doesn't understand you yet. You're a tomboy. You don't want to wear dresses anymore. Tomboy's just another type of girl, but I'm not a girl. I'm sorry, I don't follow you. I'm in the wrong body, okay? I'm a boy! Did you hear what I just said about Joe? She said that she is a boy. You messed her up. I think it's best that you stay away. You've got one body, you've got one path, and God's got the game plan. I can't stay here. You really want to go with me? I'll be back. Be ready. Joe! You think our mountains are big here in Montana? Yeah. Which you see them in Canada? You just gotta go here, cross the river. That's it. I do not understand why you are not out there finding my kid. I'm gonna do everything in my power. We are going to find your child. Right, uh, that's uh, uh, Cowboys there. So as you said, it is Steve Zahn and uh, a, a child who's trans. Yes, uh, Sasha Knight, who's wonderful, absolutely brilliant in this, and and Gillian Bell as well, playing um, another actor I I like a lot. Um, Brittany runs a marathon. If you haven't seen it, have a look. It's so so much fun. Um, But yeah, this is lovely, Sean. And I I think the potential to to go badly wrong could have been so big here. But I think by taking that kind of... um, naturalistic approach that we've been talking about a lot in recent weeks there's a lot of filmmakers doing it um, and casting a real life trans actor in the lead role um, Anna Kerrigan has made something really funny and tender and wise and valuable as well I think you know Um, it's it's a lovely little drama and I think by taking it what we would traditionally call a kitchen sink drama really this and framing it as a cowboy movie, um, it's a very clever idea because it brings that little kind of storytelling, playful element to it. And, and the realities of, of this boy's life, I suppose, are, are, are really unfolding in little details. Um, so he, first of all, G- Gillian Bell is, is, is his mother and her main beef with what's going on is A, she's not equipped to deal with it. Um, he's, he's at an age where he's really rebelling against like the boots and the pink and the dresses and wants to cut his hair and she's just not really equipped to deal with it but not only that she's saying all the wrong things like she is potentially causing harm um but her main beef is the fact that she is splitting up with um his dad uh, joe's dad who's played by steve zan um who is just this in the eyes of of his child is just this heroic kind of character almost a cowboy out of a western you know he just Mm. adores him um as a father figure and she feels i suppose that 
because he's playing along with this and he's playing along with them, you know, embracing their maleness, that this is confusing who she sees as her, her daughter Josie as to her sexuality. So lots of tricky, lots of tricky territory here, you know, um, very well handled, though, um, and, and re- just really just believable and lovely. And I think w- w- I, I came out with watching it, I think, feeling I had better understanding of um of trans issues and and you know why it's such an important conversation to be having at the moment uh and it's a lovely piece of casting as i say the the filmmaker Anna kerrigan went trawling through um groups you know support groups for young trans people in states and and found not only uh this boy who's a saturday night but also he he'd also done a bit of acting work he'd you know he'd done some voiceovers and stuff so he was well equipped to step in um, to this role. I think it's a beautiful performance from Steve Zahn. Um, they basically go on the run. He basically, you know, he doesn't see it as a kidnapping, but mm. he basically kidnaps the child and off they go up into the mountains of Montana, which look beautiful and um, try to have a reckoning, I suppose, and, 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 and sort out not only his issues of coming out, this boy, but also the fact it's as much about a family marriage breakdown as it is about a coming a coming out. Mm. So everyone's got a bit of learning to do here, you know, and it's done in a not too earnest way, thankfully, with a lightness of touch. Uh, it's a bit slight, I suppose I could argue. It's it's an hour and 20 minutes only. I could have happily watched a, a longer drama, um, but it's a lovely little indie film um, that makes, you know, deals with big issues in... Um, uh, you know, in easy ways, actually. She makes it look easy, this filmmaker. Okay. And I can't wait to see what she does next. Yeah, and that's available That's available on the various platforms. All the rental platforms. Yeah. Just watch, you'll find out where it's available. Okay. And you can do uh, price sa- check as well there. Sounds absolutely lovely. Uh, Fanula, Esther and Leslie, thank you all uh, very much. That's our lot for today. Kieran's up next on News Talk on the Hard Shoulder. Our production team today, Maurice O'Sullivan, Aidan McKelvey, Michael Culligan and Annette Freeman. We'll talk to you on Monday at 2. Have a lovely weekend. Movies and Booze on Moncrief Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range Lidl, more for you Enjoy alcohol sensibly Visit drinkaware.ie